right, we're going to be in Luke 9. Verses 28 through 36 today. Lord, we just thank you for this day and the time we've had for worshiping and singing. And we ask you to bless this time now as we worship you with the, the word and guide and lead as we look at this. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, 9, starting at verse 28. Did I say 26? I might have said 26. Who knows? I've been having trouble speaking lately. <laughs> Luke 9, starting at verse 28. We've had Jesus feeding, uh, sending the disciples out to, to witness on their own. We had the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, we had the Jesus asking them, Who do you say I am? And Peter was the one that came up with, You are the Christ, the Son of God. And he says, you have spoken well. And now we start at verse 28. And it came to pass after about eight, day, after eight days of these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up unto the mountain, a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, I'm lost. The, the fashion of his countenance was uh, altered and his raiment was white and glistening. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elijah, who prayed, who appeared in glory and spoke to of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy asleep. And when they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. And it came to pass as they departed from him that Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here, and let us make you three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he thus spoke, there came a cloud and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud. And there came a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone, and they kept it close and told no man in those days, any of those things which had, they had seen. So here we have the transfiguration of Jesus being shown to, to them. We have Peter, James, and John. Now, this group of men have been called the inner circle of Jesus. He had a small group. He had, the, he had the Peter, James, and John, the small group that he really paid attention to. He had the 12 disciples that he poured his life into. Uh, and then he had hundreds of people that followed him everywhere and then thousands of people. But Jesus understood one thing about leadership and he showed us this. You can't pour your life into hundreds of people. This is why he took a smaller group and this is why we talk about each person should have somebody that you're discipling. You know, for me, for many years it was my kids. Now I'm discipling the smaller groups you know, of people and saying, pouring into their lives and then I give the whole church and you get the the general teachings and everything but there's certain people that I really pour into and 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 know really well and this is Peter James and John they, they were with him at various activities they were the ones that went into Jairus when Jesus healed Jairus's daughter he sent everybody out and they came in with him they were with him at the Mount of Transfiguration they were with him at the inner part of Gethsemane the rest of the disciples were out, and then he went, according to Matthew, into a little further, and he brought Peter, James, and John. These were the ones that he really poured out to. James is going to become the first martyr after, after Jesus' ascension. He's going to be the first martyr. Peter is going to be the, the main speaker for many, many, many times, and John gets to live all the way until his, his death. So these were the three. They were the ones that were with Jesus a lot. And it says here... In verse 29, 
And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered. Now, this kind of uses a lot of old English words that we don't really have the same definition for. So I looked up a lot of these, and I'm going to read the, the long, longer version from, from this. The outward appearance of his face was changed into a different kind. The fashion of his face, what did it look like? And then it was altered. It was literally changed. That word here is changed. If you think about some of the, if you're a science fiction person and all of a sudden you see that alien's face change from one thing to another, and I'm not saying this in a bad way, but this is the type of word that it is. It had one appearance and they got to see it in a more glorious appearance as to more like what he truly has been for eternity. And then it says that his garment, and then we see that that same word also talks about his face with splendor and beaming light. Now, I would know, know, I do not know how I would have been thinking if I was uh, Peter, James, and John sitting out there because this was something they had never seen. You know, we have something, we see it all, kind, all kinds of transformations on television and movies and everything. It's not, not a normal for us to see those. We've never seen it in real life, hopefully. <laughs> But they saw Jesus' very appearance change before them as part of what he was shown through. He could not have shown them his entire Godhead because it says that nobody can see the face of God and live, but they saw some portion of that transformation that said, he is not just a man. Peter had just eight days before said that you are the Christ, the Son of God, you are the Messiah. You are God, is what he told them. So maybe the, the stage had been set that they're not too surprised, but you know, they never fully understood that Jesus was God until after the resurrection and after Pentecost, and then all of a sudden they started remembering all the things that they had heard Jesus tell them. Last chapter he told them, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to die, and then three days later I'm going to come back. They never heard, or never understood because that's not what they expected. They didn't expect him to go die. So they had this problem when he kept saying, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. They're going, we don't know what you're talking about. You're the Messiah, you're gonna set up the kingdom and you're gonna get rid of these Roman occupiers and we don't know what's going on and you keep talking about dying and we've got these Romans here and you're the Messiah. They were waiting for the kingdom of God to come at that time, the millenn what we know as the millennial kingdom, a thousand year reign of Christ in this world from Jerusalem. That's what they were expecting him to do at that moment. So when he would talk about dying, they go, doesn't compute, and throw that statement out. All right? And it says, not only did his face shine, but his raiment and his clothes. His raiment was white and brilliant and shining. Now, I don't think that this was just a bright light coming out. I think this was a light that was almost blinding. And it says that they were sleeping when all of this started. It seemed like Peter, James, and John sleep a lot when Jesus is praying. Because they're sleeping in Gethsemane, they're sleeping here. Uh, you know, they just didn't, you know, and it tells me that Jesus probably prayed for a long time. You know, uh, and I understand, you know, I have trouble going more than an hour in prayer. You know, and I can understand Jesus every morning started his morning with prayer. And it says early in the morning he got up before the sun came and prayed. I picture Jesus talking with the Father for hours when he did this. And so they, they were awakened, and we see that Moses and Elijah were there speaking, and they woke up and they saw them. 
And Peter's going to be able to identify that, they, that he was talking to Moses and Elijah. Now the question that has always popped into my mind, and I had to do a lot of thinking and research about it, is how did they know Moses and Elijah? They didn't have little pictures of them. <laughs> Matter of fact, in the Jewish Jews at that point in time, they made no statues, they made no pictures of people. Matter of fact, they didn't make many pictures of anything because that would be creating an image and God said, you shall have make no images. And they literally took it to the place where they did not make pictures of people and didn't make very many pictures of things. So we go, how did they know? Well, there's several ways they might have known. Peter, eight days earlier, God had divinely told him that Jesus was the Christ, and that's what Jesus said. You, you'd have not come with this on your own. The, the Spirit has told you. It is possible just they had the Spirit. Possible that as they were listening, somebody talked, you know, said a name. You know, um, Moses makes a good point, and Jesus goes, that's a very good point, Moses. <laughs> you know, we don't know. It could, be, it could be that. We don't know exactly how they could. Maybe they were told afterwards, but it doesn't fit this. Fit this. Um, some people say they might have been unique description. You know, Elijah wore camel, you know, camel coats and, and a girdle, so, I mean, but he wasn't the only one that ever did that. Uh, and Moses doesn't have that strong a description, so I don't know how they would have known Moses from a description, but we do know they recognized them. I think it was divinely appointed that they recognized him because they were almost in a heavenly realm at this point. And we believe that when you go to heaven, you're going to know people. You know, you're going to definitely know your family and friends. Uh, and many people believe that you'll know everybody because they're part of the family and there will be a divine impartation of that knowledge. And I think that's what happened here myself. That God just said, here, I'm going to let you know who they are. You know, now, why do we have Moses and Elijah here? Well, Moses and Elijah are the two most famous individuals in the Jewish religion. You've got Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Bible, gave him the law. And Elijah is the pinnacle of all of the prophets. He is the prophet. When they think of prophets, they think of Elijah. So they have the law and the prophets represented here on the hill with Jesus. And, you know, it says their, their discussion was... They spoke of his decease or his death. I don't know why they put decease because that means it already has happened, but in God's mind it had already happened. They talked about his coming death in Jerusalem. Now, this is twice in eight days that Peter, James, and John have heard Jesus talking or being talked to about his death. Now, I don't, you know, and again, you've got to put yourself in their mind, mindset. This is not what they expected. We're following the Messiah. The Messiah is going to come. He's the Son of God. He's going to come. He's going to start a kingdom. And it's an eternal kingdom that is centered in Jerusalem. That is their mindset. They're following Jesus, and he's talking about dying. Now Moses and Elijah are coming down and saying, you're going to die. How much confusion are they in? How much confusion would you be in? Now, how many times are you sure that you know how to do something and find out that it needs to be done some, some other way? And you get all confused because you knew that you knew that it was to be done this way. And it doesn't get that done that way. Uh, I remember a time I was installing a printer. And I tell my students at the, at the prison when I teach the class, when you install a printer, read the instructions. I teach men, so I'm going, and I even make fun of them. I go, us men don't like to read instructions. 
But when you install the, the printer to that computer, read the instructions because some of them you put it on first and then you install the software, some you put the software in and, you, and then you put, attach the printer. And if you don't do it in the right order, you will spend two or three hours fixing the problem. If you know what you're doing, you'll spend two or three hours fixing the problem that you created by not following the instructions. You know, how many times have we done something where we know that we know how to do something and we find out we didn't know what we were doing and we get all confused because what we knew was going to work didn't work? This is what the disciples are looking at. We know that he's come. We know he's going to start his kingdom. We know it's going to rule out of Jerusalem. What are you talking about you're going to die? You know, throw, that, throw that statement out the window. It's not, it's not valid. That is how they thought. Now they're seeing a heavenly vision <laughs> with two people that have gone into heaven telling, talking with Jesus about his upcoming death. This is going to be confusing to them. You know, uh, well, Jesus said it. We can kind of discard it. He's just kind of gone a little bit crazy with all the pressure. Moses and, and Elijah are talking about his coming death. What's going on here? This was a time for them to be able to see. And just the vision that they saw the shining vision of God, power and presence. Something that I don't know, I've never been in that kind of a picture before, but we see it every time people talk about seeing angels, they talk about shining coming forth out of them. And I think this one, because it's Jesus himself being God, was even brighter than normal vision on it. Now, I'm only speculating on that, but I think it was even brighter than what they would normally see with an angel. And... I think it was the shining light that woke him up. That's how bright this light was. I think that's what woke him up. Maybe the talking did, but how many of us have been woke up by a light just flipping on? You know, if you're married and you, you either do it to your spouse or your spouse does it to you, they come in and flip the light on. And instantly, you're awake. Because you know, it's just a shock. You know, it's hard to sleep through that. I think they were sleeping and a light came up and woke them up. And they looked and they saw this glory of the two men. And I want to look at this for, and it came to pass as they, as they departed, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here and let us make three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, Elijah not knowing what he said. I want to key in on that last phrase, not knowing what he said. He has just seen... Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, Moses, and Elijah. And he says, let us make three tabernacles for you. And I'm not sure anybody in this room even knows what he said wrong at this, at this point in time. But what he has done, he is trying to honor Jesus. Jesus, you were just with the two greatest people in, in all of Judaism, Let's put and build houses for you three and put you on the same plane. He's trying to honor Jesus. Jesus, I want to put you, you these are our top dogs. We're going to put you with them. He didn't really realize that he was dragging Jesus down from his proper position and making him equal to the prophets and the laws and, the, and them. You know, Peter's looking at it and saying, I want to do something really special. We need to do something really special for you not realizing what he was really saying. How many times do we do the same thing with God? 
we elevate some program of the church up above or equal to God, maybe not above, but equal to God, and say, God, we're just going to bring you down to our program. You, you, get to, you get to join us in our program because our program is so wonderful that we need it up there real high with you. Dragging him down from his top position. We need to be very careful about that. How many times do we put our own opinions and decisions equal to or above God? Which is why we have our, one of our most famous scriptures that most everybody has memorized, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. We are not to lift our ways equal, which is technically trying to bring him down to our level. This is something we do a lot. Not knowing what we do. We bring God down or try to elevate people. We need to always remember God is God. And keep him there. And we're not. Now, I jokingly say, you know, and this goes around the seminaries, you will learn two very, very important things in seminary. One, there is only one God. And two, you are not him. And we make a joke about it, but it is really a very important thing to understand. There's only one God, and we're not, that, we're not God. Here, Peter is trying to say, and again, he's doing it with the right heart. He's trying to elevate Jesus to the, to the level of the two greatest prophet, uh, prophets that have ever existed in Egypt. He doesn't realize that he's dragging Jesus down from his exalted height. We need to be very careful with that in our lives not to exalt ourselves or drag Jesus down. We're getting a lot of that in this day's world. We talked about it with the song, Onward Christian Soldiers. What is going on in today's world is we can't talk about being in spiritual battles anymore because that offends so many people that we might be in war. We are at war. Every day is a spiritual battle. So we're dragging what God says down and saying, well, God, you've got to come down to our level because we don't want to be there. We need to be very careful. It's so easy to do, and our world is doing it all the time. Talk to people about who Jesus is. Unless they're a Christian, they won't even say he's the Son of God, the Master, the Savior of the world. They're going to say things like, well, he was a good teacher. Or, if you really find the atheist, who, now, he may not have even existed at all. There's more proof that he existed than some of the people that lived two, three hundred years ago. You know, uh, but, you know, they're, they're always going to come in here and say that these don't happen. You know, they're trying to say Moses never lived. They're trying to say David never lived. They're, they want to get rid of all of the heroes of the Bible and say, oh, it's all false. You know, the Bible tells us God created the world in seven, you know, seven days, counting the day of rest. And what do they want to tell us? That no, it all, it, it all came about by natural forces over billions and billions of years. And that all, all violate science, but you know, we're going to believe that the violations of science happened rather than what God says. We need to be careful and say God is true. When God says it, it is true. Whether we believe it or not, it is true. Because truth doesn't matter whether I believe it or not. And that's very important to understand. Truth doesn't care whether you believe it. You know, and I, my example is, and nobody's ever going to do this, I know, but if you were to go up on, a, on the edge of the Grand Canyon and say, I don't believe gravity exists, I'm going to step off, 
it's not going to matter that you didn't believe. And I mean, maybe you truly believe that gravity doesn't doesn't matter. And and you've watched enough cartoons where the guys run off the cliff and they and they realize that they're not on the cliff and they run back. You know, and you go, okay, I can I can step off and I'm not going to fall down because I do not believe in gravity. Gravity does not care that you don't believe in it at that point in time. Very quickly, you're going to believe in gravity because you're going to fall. Truth does not care whether you believe or not. It's just true. And when God stands in judgment of the people on the white throne judgment, he's going to stand with his truth and say, you rejected truth. And you are now condemned because you rejected truth. We need to understand it is a very vital thing to trust God and believe in him. When he says it, it doesn't matter whether I believe or not. My, my statement needs to be like the blind man. I believe, help me with my unbelief and show me how it is true. I've only been studying for 50 years in the scriptures and I have found that everywhere it is, it's true. Given enough time, I have found it to be true. Even the parts that I had trouble in my younger days believing, I would go through and find God is true. And if I find anything that I still have trouble with, I'm going to remember God is true and he, tell, he's, he knows more than I do. Just a little bit more. <laughs> you know, uh, like, I barely know anything that he knows. <laughs> so we want to keep that in mind uh, on, on this, is this whole event. Then we end up, after Peter says this, while he was yet speaking, there came a cloud and overshadowed them and fear fell upon them. To the Hebrew mind, this has a whole lot of information into it. Because when did the cloud show, uh, show up? Well, the pillar of cloud led them through the wilderness. When they built the tabernacle, the cloud it covered, the, covered the tabernacle such that nobody could go in right away because God's presence was so heavy upon them. When they built the temple, the cloud of God came on it and covered it. Over and over again, we see the cloud overcoming and God's voice spoke out of it in the Hebrew rabbis call this the Shekinah glory the presence of God where they would be looking at it and realizing this wasn't just a cloud this wasn't all of a sudden a cloud passed over like it just did here and darkened our room <laughs> this was God's presence viewed to them as a cloud probably shining because that's what they described the, the glory of God as and enveloped them and they were fearful because in their mind they're going back to Mount Sinai when the when the cloud covered Mount Sinai and rumbling and grow and and thunderings came out of it lightning and everything and they're going what is going on and God the Father said this is my beloved son hear him God put the final testimony on what Peter was trying to do all of a sudden, Peter realized, I hope he realized, it doesn't say it, but at that point, I think Peter realized, uh, I kind of brought the Son of God down a little too low. You know, I should have said, let's make a booth for you. I mean, if you're going to make a booth, let's make a booth for you. You are God. Because God himself came down and said, this is my Son. Peter, you wanted to bring him down. I'm going to re-elevate him back in your mind to where he is. Peter, you just said eight days before, this is the Son of God. This is God. This is the Messiah. You've forgotten so quickly 
how easy it is for us to forget. And I've shared many times, the thing I'm looking forward to most when I get to heaven is not forgetting the things that I learn. I am tired of forgetting the things that I learn. I'm tired of going into verse and doing research and realizing that I've already researched that, that particular truth and going, oh, on that same topic, on the same book, you know, I'm going, I already knew that. How much have we forgotten that we learn? Now, I, at the prison, I give GED tests. You know, the biggest comment that I hear from people, especially in math, I forgot how much, how much math I used to know. And I remember the same thing. When I started tutoring some of them in, in mathematics, I've taken calculus and statistics and advanced calculus and all these things. I went back to high school math and going, how do you do these things? <laughs> and math is my favorite subject in school. And I'm looking at those and going, I haven't got a clue how to do these. It didn't take me long to review and relearn. But when I first looked at it, it's like, I, I don't remember this stuff at all. The sad thing is that happens oftentimes in the scriptures. I'm studying something and I'm looking at something and I'm going, I, I know that I know this, but I don't remember it. I am looking forward to the day that I don't forget it in heaven. You know, and most of us who have grown up in a church can say something like, you know, I've forgotten more about the Bible than most people know, and I know that I can because I've studied it, I went to seminary and all these things. But I don't like making that statement because it makes me very sad that I have forgotten so much of the things that are important. We need to be able to understand and not forget because God said, hear him. And the word for hear indicates to learn from. Learn from him. Listen to him. And our goal as we look at the word of God and we get taught is to learn. To apply his word. And, you know, and I've said this oftentimes. And we, we really push reading the Bible through every year. And I think everybody should read the Bible through every year. But if all you're doing is saying, I've got to get through the Bible in a year, and you're not paying attention, you're not learning from what you're reading, you're almost wasting your time, other than Isaiah says that his word does not return void. So I'd still rather you read the word, even if you're not going to pay attention to it. But, you know, we really have to be thinking about what we read. Meditate on it. It's an amazing thing to me, because I do the same thing. I have a schedule that I read, and it's amazing how many times what I read that morning is just what I need for that day. Almost every single time. It doesn't matter what book, where I'm at. It's whatever I'm reading is for that day. And if it's not, the speaker that I listen to on the way to work will end up talking about something I need to hear or something I need to fix in my life. You know, sometimes I'm tired of all these pastors getting together on the radio and figuring out what I need. <laughs> you know, and again, I say that tongue-in-cheek because I know it's God, you know, God arranging it. But, you know, it's amazing. I don't know how many of you do this. You, you start listening to these guys on the radio and they're talking about exactly what you needed to hear. And it's like, how did this happen? You know, God. God, what really bugs me is when four or five of them in a row start talking about it. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, God, I got the message already. <laughs> but God said to Jesus and to the disciples, this is my son, hear him. And as soon as he said that, the cloud lifted and they were, they were alone. And the indication is that Jesus was back to his normal self because he was able to go down to the hill and not have to explain what happened to him on the hill. And it says they stayed silent about what happened. In Matthew, it tells us that Jesus told them to tell nobody about what had happened until after his death, burial, and resurrection. 
because he did not want people keeping him from his death, burial, and resurrection. If the people had truly understood who he was, you know, there's a verse in the, in, the, in the Gospels that said they would have made him the king by force. So he always told people, don't tell what you saw. Don't tell what you know until after the resurrection. We do not have that prohibition. When God does something for you, tell everybody. <laughs> if God heals you, tell everybody. If he does something wonderful for you, tell everybody. And I'm not just talking about tell the people in the church. Tell the lost. They'll think you're crazy, but that's okay. They need to know that God does great things in your life. He is still the God of miracles. He does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has not changed. So when he does something in your life, tell people. I shared with you, I used to love going to the restaurant and telling people all the things that God had done for me over the weekend. And watch the eyes roll back like, oh, go, oh no, he's going to talk about God again. Didn't bother me. They rejected it, but that's okay. Tell people. Because one of the good things about it is when you start telling people and they start going through really hard times and they need help, they're going to look for somebody that they know has God on their side. And that will open doors for you later on. Even though they think you're a nut, even though they think you're crazy, even though they think you're insane, when they go through a hard time, they're going to go, you know, that person's different. That person has some answers. I want to go see if they can help me with these answers. This is when we sang the song, they'll know that we are Christians by our love. Our motivation to people is to show love. Not to allow them to go into sin and do all these things because love does not allow people to hurt themselves. But you can also correct somebody without being judgmental. And that is what we do. You know, God says that what you're doing is wrong and I'll be here to pick up the pieces when you, when you get suffering from it. But there are rules that God lives, that gives us. And we want to understand these things. We want to lift up God because we have the God of the universe on our side, living in us, giving us peace that passes understanding, giving us the strength to endure. You know, God never promised us a nice, easy life. He just promised he'd be there through all the trials. And you know, the thing I've learned is the more I trust on him, the easier the life is, even though I'm going through trials. Because he is the strength. He is our strength. He is our tower. He is our refuge. He is the one that takes the beating. He's the one that takes the blunt of the, the attack. And all we do is rest. And in Hebrews, on, on Sunday night, we're talking about Hebrews. And the whole book of Hebrews is about faith rest. Just learning to rest in God. And it's been amazing. As I've been talking about faith rest, God has been turning my life upside down to say, are you going to faith rest? And I can't say I've done it perfectly on every single one of the trials, but for the most part, I'm realizing exactly why I'm going through all of it and saying, God, okay, I don't like what's happening, but you, you are God. That has to be our attitude. God, you are the master. You are the ruler. Help me just to rest. Help me to live in you. And of course, the great peace is my favorite verse, Romans 8, 28, for we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. No matter what is going on in your life, God has something good. Now, 
and I make this point to everybody, it's not your good necessarily, but it is for good, his good. Ultimately, it'll be for our good because we'll be rewarded in heaven, but it is for his good, what he determines good. And we need to just learn to trust God, no matter what's going on in our life. And it's hard. <laughs> Believe me, when I say that, I'm not perfect at it. And all you got to do is talk to my wife. You'll know that I'm not perfect at you know, staying, staying calm during all the, all the high pressure. But I do it more than not, more than not to do it. And my challenge for us is just to learn to rest in God. Rest in the truth that he's got a good plan. And this is where we're at, just, just to be able to trust. Keep him on the throne. He is God. And let's look at what he is doing for us and just trust him. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love of us. We thank you that you have good plans for us. We thank you that you care for us in ways that we cannot even imagine and that you came to this world to die for us so that we would be able to spend eternity with you. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to, get the, to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.